Hey, hey, welcome back everyone to another broadcast of In the Trenches. I'm excited today to sit down with Abby Walker, who is the founder of Vivian Liu. Vivian Liu is a shoe company for all intents and purposes, but specifically, they focus on creating insoles for high heels. So they make high heels comfortable to wear. Now, in today's conversation, I go into the backstory of how Abby came up with this idea, what were some of the fortuitous events that, that kind of took place for her to get this thing off the ground. What I think is so interesting is she started off as a blogger. And this opportunity, she didn't actually create the actual insoles themselves. She found them through a recommendation on a forum, but then was able to connect with the creator of these, the manufacturer, strike a deal. And now she's the exclusive seller of this product worldwide. And she has grown this business to over $4 million as of 2018. And so it's really impressive. She's done that in a short period of time too. She actually started this back in 2014. So in a four-year period, she got it up to a $4 million company. Maybe more impressively, she's done this without employees. And we get into that as well in today's conversation. My big takeaway is just this. There's a lot of ways to think about a problem, and there's a lot of ways to answer a problem. And it's not binary. It's not always, this is the right direction, this is the wrong direction. You're going to hear when Abby discusses the decisions she's made that are somewhat contrarian including the choice to not have full-time employees to do everything with contractors. You'll get to hear how she kind of approached that decision-making process and what she kind of optimizes for, which I think is really interesting and really useful. So if you're somebody who's thinking about starting something on the side, maybe you've already started something, you're trying to grow something or scale something, this is going to be a great interview for you to listen to and take some notes because Abby has a lot of wisdom and I'm really excited to share it with you right now. Without further ado, let's get to today's conversation. So Abby, the place I want to start is the origin of Vivian Liu. How did this come into being? What was like the origin story, the creation story? What, what inspired you to start this and what was that process like? Sure. So it, it's kind of an interesting, <laughs> an interesting process. So it was, um, gosh, I was about 12 years into my corporate job in corporate America. And I have a background in employee communication and internal communications. And I had just... Um, I had two young kids, was living a really good life, had a really good career, but had this burning desire to do and to be someone different. And I didn't know what that looked like. But this desire honestly woke me up more nights than I can remember. And so in 2012, I actually started a blog... <laughs> Um, about shoes. I kind of did some soul searching. I was like, what's the one thing that I absolutely love that is just kind of off the wall that I want to talk about and be creative around? And it was always high heels. And so I started a shoe blog in 2012 called Mama's Shoes. And uh, I wrote to it one hour a week while the kids napped on a Saturday. And I had a whole whopping 36 followers. <laughs> and so um, I wasn't looking to monetize this blog or anything. It was just literally a creative outlet for me just to kind of find my passion again in, in something that I'd love to do. And because of the blog, uh, I learned about a bunch of different products and whatnot. And in 2014, I stumbled across a forum as part of you know doing market research as to what my next topic would be for this blog. And two women were talking about this insole called Insolia. And they swore it forever changed the way they wore high heels. And it was amazing. And as a shoe blogger and as a working mother who always wore high heels five days a week. I was like, why have I never heard of these things? And so I, this is so unlike me. I, you know, I, I before I started my company, I, I still am, but I'm like a staunch, uh, introvert. Like I don't, I don't like putting myself out there. I don't like picking up the phone and making cold calls, but I did. 
And there was like something inside of me that was like, you need to call and find out more about this product. And so I called the chairman and he answered my phone call. And I was like, why have I never heard of your product? And he was like, well, we're a bunch of MIT engineers that don't know how to market this product to women. And so in my copious spare time, I offered to help market this product for a cut of incremental sales. And his response was they were looking to exit the direct-to-consumer market in the US and Canada, and they weren't interested in partnering with me. But he's like, I'll send you some samples, see if you like the product. And so he sent me samples. Um, My husband actually had a conference in Las Vegas the next weekend. And Vegas, for all high-heel-wearing women know, Vegas is like killer when it comes to wearing high heels. It's just the most awful, painful place to wear high heels. But I wore them and I absolutely loved them. And so I called him up when I got back and I'm like, I love your product. And he's like, I talked to our board and we're willing to offer you the opportunity to become our exclusive distributor in the United States and Canada. And without thinking about it, I said, yes. I was like, yes, we're doing this. And so I launched uh, Vivian Liu with zero business background, only $7,500 that I could use for a website, for fulfillment, for packaging, and for my first inventory buy. And I still had my full-time job, You know, still was the mom, married with a mom of two young kids. And so I worked on it literally at nights and weekends when I started it in 2014. That's wild. So this was a product that somebody had created. It came, you, you, become, uh, you became savvy to it as an introduction from somebody else like at a conference. So somebody mentioned it to you, right? It was, it was actually through, through a forum. So it was an online forum where two women were just discussing it. Yes. Interesting. So, okay. So then you have a conversation with them. Yes. And what was... If you can give me as much as detail as you can... I mean, you can... Just the important stuff. But I'm really curious about that. Like, How did you negotiate a deal where you're like, this makes sense from a business standpoint? Because I'm sure there's like a lot of great products out there. This actually seems like a great way for somebody who's like really just eager to get started and do something thing and has the hustle and finds a product that they love instead of trying to invent it themselves. Right. Find somebody who's already has something. So I'm curious from a business standpoint, what was like critical for it to be a successful relationship, a partnership in that that context? Or I, I don't know what you call it, if it was a partnership or not, or a licensing deal. Yeah. So um, it's, it's neither actually. So what it is, is I literally am... It, it's the most black and white mm. business model. So simple. It's also kind of risky in that I don't own the patent and I don't own the rights to the product, but we have really strong contracts in place and what whatnot. But I literally place purchase orders with them. They have it manufactured and have it shipped to my warehouse. I take care of the packaging, the marketing, the fulfillment, the returns, the customer service, like all of the front end. Mm. But because I don't have to worry about the manufacturing side of things, it just frees up so much space for me to focus on the marketing and the building the business and dreaming big and trying different things. In terms of how that made sense for me, my journey, I would say, is incredibly serendipitous. I was not looking for a business to launch. I was simply looking for an escape, a creative escape. I still worked full time. This was not at all my intention. It literally fell into my lap and it was an opportunity I could not say no to. I believed so much in this product because I now had them in every single pair of my high heels. And I was like, my mission is if I can just change one woman's life by making her wear high heels without pain, then I've done my job. And so literally it was I had no intentions of it when I first started. It was truly a hobby business. Like I was so incredibly excited about it. I knew in my heart that one day it could be something big, but I was in no rush to get there. I still had my full-time job. I still, you know, had my family, all of these sorts of things. And um 
that changed down the road where I was like, I am on a mission to make this grow bigger. But when I first started, it, I was just so incredibly excited to have the opportunity to bring this product to market. Yeah. So you had a blog that was pretty fresh and new and it was clearly just a hobby at the time when you started it. Now all of a sudden you make the deal to be exclusive seller, reseller in, in the States, right? Yeah. So it was at first in the United States and Canada. Now I have exclusive rights worldwide. It, that happened. In oh, nice. Yeah. So, wow. yes. So it's so much fun. And I'm so incredibly honored to have this opportunity to sell these products because they're just absolutely amazing. But it took a lot of work. And I would say it took a lot of work on me personally, just as much as it did me learning how to run a business. Mm. Um, the reason I say that is because I had such resistance to putting myself out there. So when I first started generating sales and whatnot, I was afraid to sign my emails by my name. I was like, I don't. if this thing fails, I don't want people to know that I was the one behind a failed company. I don't want to put myself out there. And when we would get bad reviews or returns, I would take them personally. Like It was like a personal attack on me. And so it took work to kind of separate me from the product and from the company. You know, obviously as an entrepreneur, there's so much heart and soul of the business owner that goes into the company, but I think it's critically important to kind of separate the two so you can continue to dream big and move forward even if there's, you know, things that need to be changed or you know, one woman thinks your insoles are, you know, totally a waste of money. It doesn't like tear you down. You know, it's just, I, I think it's important to, to separate that, even though I know it's so incredibly hard. So tell me about what that first like month or two or three was like after sure. you had kind of negotiated the deal. Yeah. Okay. So, so I said yes. They sent me a contract with how much it would cost, minimum orders, you know, all of that kind of stuff, the, the lead time. And then I literally got to work and it was drinking from the fire hose. So I signed a contract with them saying, I agree to this. I did not place my first purchase order at first. I needed to figure out packaging. I needed to figure out... I knew that if women were going to rely on me to ship the product out of my garage, the business was doomed. <laughs> like That just would not happen. So I worked really hard at the time we lived in Minneapolis and I worked really hard to find a distributor. Um, and a fulfillment center that would work with such a small company such as myself to fulfill orders every day. And um, thankfully I did because I know a lot of fulfillment centers won't take startup companies because their inventory count is too low and the orders that come in on a daily basis are too small. So I was fortunate enough to find one. And then I just... I literally... The kids would go to bed and I would stay up. And it just... I was so inspired by this opportunity that it didn't matter. I'm typically one that needs like 8 to 9 hours of sleep. And I was burning the midnight oil. Like I was, I was staying up late. I was doing research. I was reaching out to people, asking questions. You know, trying to figure out: Do I need insurance? What does that insurance look like? You know, uh, literally learning how to operate a business from A to Z. I'm curious on the on the practical steps too, because that's again, like I love the hustle there. I, my my story is very similar because I started on the side when I was in the military. So it was like anything I could do where I could find that extra minute of free time, working, yes. you know, evenings at lunch if I get a lunch hour, if I had any time in the morning, but often not, and then weekends. I'm curious about this. You have a physical product. You're new to this. What were some of the things you did to get like? your first sale and also maybe the first I don't know if there was a, if there was ever like a first big spike in sales so those two events I'm really curious about what led to those yeah so I was fortunate enough so the product before I took it over had been in the market for 10 years and it just never took off wow over those 10 years the gentleman who owned the patent on it had collected the email addresses of 18,000 women who had expressed interest in the product 
So I was not starting off completely cold. So my first three months, I was able to pay off my first inventory purchase and my first packaging and literally pay off the money that I had invested in the company within the first three months due to this list of 18,000. It didn't get me, it got me through the first three months, but then come January of 2015, it was up to me to start generating cold traffic. And that was hard. So I started doing Facebook ads myself and trying to do Google AdWords. And I quickly racked up the debt. Like it was, you can lose money so quickly on those platforms. But I have to tell you the first spike in sales, well, there were two. So I was still struggling. So I launched the company in 2014. I was still struggling through the entire year of 2015. I convinced my husband to let me quit my corporate job in the summer of 2015 and try and get Vivian Lou off the ground. And he gave me three months to try and make the business profitable. And the business just had to be profitable with the ultimate goal of replacing, obviously, my lost corporate salary. At the end of three months, I was not profitable. And so I had to go back to work. Now, the day I went back to corporate America was the day I got a call from two stores. So in August of 2015, I was uh, selected to go to an event in New York called Pitch Night for the store story. And so this store rotates inventory every six to eight weeks. And usually they highlight artisans or entrepreneurs from the New York metro area. But I had caught wind of them through my brother-in-law and reached out and I said, Hey, I'm not New York. I'm in Minneapolis, but I would love to fly out there and pitch my product to you. And so they, I was one of 34 entrepreneurs in August that was invited to go pitch my product to Rachel Sheckman, who at the time was the CEO of Story. And uh, Mindy Grossman, who at the time was the CEO of the Home Shopping Network, and Tori Johnson from Good Morning America Deals and Steals, all happened to be there. So I had three minutes to pitch my product. And the day I went back to corporate America, I got a phone call from the Home Shopping Network saying that they were going to fast track my product through the approval process. And I also got a phone call from Story saying that they were going to feature my product in their Home for the Holidays story starting in November of 2015. So while you know sales weren't day to day sales were not there, the my first big boost was when HSN placed their first purchase order, which was absolutely amazing. And so I continued to kind of struggle with day-to-day sales. But I sold out on Home Shopping Network in January of 2016, February of 2016, and April of 2016. And again, I convinced my husband. I'm like, if, if I can sell out of inventory on Home Shopping Network three times in a row, I know there is a greater market for this product in the United States and Canada. I just have to figure out how to get there. And so he again gave me, he's so patient. He gave me three months and he's like, give it a go again. Like see, see how this works out. And so I was hell bent on making Facebook ads work for me. So I studied everything I could about Facebook ads. And there was one ad that converted really well for me. It was a $10 ad and I made 40 sales every day on that $10 ad. And so it was a 4X return on my spend. And I called up one of my colleagues and I asked, you know, what do I do? He's like, you should be spending $100 a day, $1,000 a day. Like if you know Facebook is working for you, just continue to test and figure out which ads convert. And so literally in August of 2016, I started making 75 sales a day based on Facebook ads. And then in September of 2016, the product was featured on The View, which Tori Johnson, who I had met at Story, she coordinates The View, your deals on The View. And so uh, while I was sustainable and making money on a day-to-day basis, 
because we were featured on The View, we had 2,500 orders in one day in September of 2016, which allowed me to pay off all of my debt, which allowed me to pay, make my next inventory purchase. And the company has been uh, profitable ever since. So it's just been kind of a crazy uh, string of events that allowed Vivian Lou to, to kind of take off and become a profitable company. Yeah, I'd say like some of that is definitely serendipitous, but you like yes. you took the right action at the right time. You were doing the things like it wasn't just like, oh, this fell in your lap haphazardly. Like right. you were paying attention to what was out there. You took the chance on what was it flying to New York, right? To pitch your deal. Yes. So like two things that that like stick out when when people ask me like what advice do you have for people who are just starting out or people who are interested in becoming entrepreneurs and two things really really stand out it's one take consistent action every single day it could be a small action like if you're working a full-time job and you're raising kids i understand you don't have hours on end or funds on end to throw at your venture but just google something make one phone call reach out to one person like it doesn't have to be huge incremental things, but do something every single day. And then also, I truly believe that magic happens when you push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Like all of these magical opportunities appeared because I was so incredibly painfully uncomfortable. (laughs) Mm. And I think you have to be. I, I truly believe that things happen. Um, incredible things happen when you step outside your comfort zone. That's pretty wild. I mean, so this is you. You officially started. We'll say when you started selling it online was what 2014. You said yes. Yeah. Okay. And then so by the end of 2014, you were still you still had a full time job, right? Full time. End of 2014, full time job. End of 2015, a new full time job. I had to go back to work. Mm. End of 2016. I had quit my full-time job and it had become profitable and I did not have to go back to work. Yeah, that's that's wild. And then you, uh, we were talking offline, but that at 2018, you kind of closed out 2018, just over 4 million in sales. Is that right? Yes. So it went 2014, I probably made $10,000 in sales. 2015, I don't know how many sales I made, but I know that I was literally in the tens of thousands of debt. (laughs) So I was like probably $60,000 in debt at the end of 2015. 2016, I closed sales with $650,000 in sales. 2017, I closed just shy of 3 million. And then 2018, I closed just north of 4 million. Wow, that's awesome! How, what does your what does your husband think of the hobby now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was like, when can I retire? <laughs> yeah, I like it. That's cool. So, one of the other things I think is so interesting about what you're doing. I mean, there's a few few places I want to go with this, but you'd also mentioned that at this point in time, you have no employees. Correct. Which I think is wild. So, walk me through that. You use contractors. How have you structured it? Why no employees? And and what are the benefits, pros and cons, as far as you're concerned? Sure. So, when I worked in corporate America, I at one point had a team of 26 direct reports, and being a manager of that size of a team, any size of a team, actually, it, it takes a toll, and I just there was so much like energy and effort invested into their well-being and i felt so responsible for you know their place and their salaries and how they're supporting their families it was just it was quite overwhelming and so one of the things that i kind of committed to myself is i am not going to have formal employees there are a couple of reasons why so many people look at top line revenue and or profitability of a company as the measurement of success for me Success means peace and freedom. And so I walk my kids to school every day. 
I walk and pick them up from school every day. I help them with their homework. We take, I take them to gymnastics and all their after school activities. And I am not at all stressed. And so to me, as long as I can maintain a lifestyle by, you know, now I'm able to more than cover my corporate salary, but live a lifestyle where I'm at peace and I literally have freedom. I don't have to answer the phone. There, there is no one I have to answer the phone call for. I don't have investors. I don't have employees. I literally do what I want to do every single day and work on what I want to work on. And that to me is the ultimate gift, more so than any amount of money in the bank. So I know I could have grown my company probably faster if I had employees or if I had taken on investors. I'm okay with that. Several people now, like advisors have said, you know, you're introducing conflict into your company because you have so many different people and points of view where, you know, there could be conflict introduced into your entire flow and or you are paying a premium because these people, you're paying premiums for contractors when you could hire an employee and they could do three of the things that your contract, you know, like the jobs of three contractors. And I'm like, you know what? I like contractors because it's very performance based. And so if one doesn't perform on on any given month, they're gone the next month and I bring in a new contractor. So there are no like HR headaches or um, having to prove like why I had to let them go or worry about... severance. It is very performance-based. So like one contractor has very... like I have a Facebook ads contractor. They do Facebook ads only. And if they stop performing for me, I pull them out of the system and I do... I find another Facebook ad person or agency and I plug them back into my system. To me, it's so simple and so freeing because I don't have so much of my business tied up in one or two people. I really appreciate this approach. Like I, you know, it might not be the right for everybody. Um, right. There's obviously going to be setbacks to it. One of those is that is obvious, but it's not necessarily just a positive, which is, oh yeah, you know, an employee could do more than multiple contractors. There's something to be said for the flexibility of what you set up. And if that's the peace of mind that you need to keep doing it, uh, you know, I was just having a great conversation earlier today with, with another entrepreneur and, and the idea of like, we talked about this idea of reverse scale and uh, and everybody the push in the West and the United States is always scale, scale, scale. Right. Um, and at what expense, right? And so if, yes. like, if you could build a business that's profitable and it's good for you, good for your family, good for the community, etc. You know, you don't have to scale it if you don't want. It sounds like you're doing okay without you know forcing the scale. You know, because that would be one of the ways you'd scale. So what what are your what would you take on scale actually and kind of where you see going with this, especially the way it's structured? You know, scale for me really isn't scary. You know, I think scale, it, we still have so much runway when it comes to e-commerce. Right now, we're really only penetrating the United States, even though I am the worldwide distributor. We just recently opened up international distribution and the opportunities just in the English-speaking countries alone, like England and Australia and Canada, are tremendous. Like just tremendous. And so... And scale there is literally my warehouse needs to scale up their team in order to kit and fulfill the orders. And I need to place bigger POs from my manufacturing facility. The scaling from manufacturing standpoint is a non-issue and the fulfillment of it is a non-issue. So really, it's just more of the same. 
And if we get more eyeballs on our, on our product, then I think that scale is awesome. One thing I am working on actually is uh, like kind of expanding the Vivian Lou brand. And so I think the next obvious evolution is shoes. So I am actually working on manufacturing a Vivian Lou shoe line that has our insoles manufactured into the shoe. That's one thing, well, project that we're working on right now. But again, I look at these things as fun projects and I don't have like so much invested into it. You know, it's, it's, let's give this a go, see if it works. But our, but my bread and butter has been and always will be these insoles. And so I don't want to water down the message. And I think that there is still, like I said, so much runway from just an e-commerce perspective. We're not even on in stores. So we have a list of about 1500 retailers who want to carry our product. And I've been so hesitant because developing and honing those, those relationships takes a lot of effort. And so I purposely have not gone have not worked with mom posh stores or contractors or chiropractors or excuse me, chiropractors and physical therapists who have said that they love my product. But I'd love for them to become affiliates, but I don't want them to be carrying my product in their stores. I envision this product if we are going to do a partnership with a retailer, it would be a big national mass retailer. And I always in my head have said I want to work with Nordstrom. Like if I'm going to have my product in any store, it's going to be Nordstrom. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so we'll see. We will see. But uh, yeah, the, the, my main business focus is, is really scaling the e-commerce store internationally. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, there's, there's a, huge, a huge benefit to just being uh, solely online too. I'm not saying you shouldn't go right. uh, retail, but I, like, I kind of like your mindset on this. It's like, if you're going to go retail, we'll go big and go with the right yeah. partners. Don't, don't kind of do it haphazardly. seems like, like your methodology is like lean. It very is very much just like like lean startup, lean entrepreneurship. The way you approach it, yeah, and it's you know it's so hard. It's so hard um, because um, I feel like you get you get pressured to like grow fast and do this, and you're right. not in stores. Why aren't you in stores? And I think you just really need to take stock of like what is meaningful for you. Like if I continue to just operate a f- annual, you know, annually a four million dollar company by myself, that is a okay with me. Like I could, I could continue to do this, you know, for a long time. It's a lot of fun. It's not stressful, you know, and I think at some point you have to weigh the pros and cons of scaling. And I I mean, there are a lot of companies that find themselves in trouble and then have to get investors. And that just is not of interest to me at all. Yeah, and it sounds like that's that's some of the trade offs you're making is like the flexibility. Uh, You want you want more flexibility. You'd rather have less overhead, less pressure. Yes. And and that's what you're optimizing for, which I think, hey, good on you for knowing what that is and making those hard choices. Because yeah, I can imagine the external pressure, especially once you've been on some of these big platforms to, and, and you've sold out. I can imagine there's investors that want to get a piece of this and would love to... Well, you know. we, yeah, I get calls all the time. And in fact, <laughs> uh, Shark Tank has called twice and wants me to go on their show and I've politely declined. I don't, I don't want to go on Shark Tank. <laughs> You should probably just do it and then and then say no if you want anyway, right? Yeah. Consider. I mean, I the, the thing is is, you know, everyone chases media. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my god, I want to be in this magazine and I want to be on this show and I want to be and media is absolutely critical and fantastic for kind of social proof, but it's just a flash in the pan. You know, it's just like, whoop, you were on and that's great. It's I don't know. There are pros and there are pros and cons to it, but with Shark Tank I'm not interested in investors, so I don't want to go on. I can make myself look like a fool without going on national television. <laughs> so <laughs> right. 
Um, you know, I do that every day in my life. I don't need to broadcast that inner, you know, across the, the entire nation. And I feel like once you're on Shark Tank, they always tag you as a Shark Tank company and it, you're always viewed as a startup. And I don't necessarily always want Vivian Liu, the brand, to be viewed as a startup company. So, you know, they're just a couple of reasons why I chose that not to pursue that platform, even though it was such a shiny, you know, object like carrot, like, oh my God, really? Like it just, it wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. Yeah. That's cool. Okay, cool. So uh, you, you, it sounds like you have some ambitions this year. I'm curious, like real quick, or as, as long as you need to answer this question, you know, you obviously are doing things differently than other people might do them or, or outside of the conventional wisdom. So I'm kind of curious, like when you do come, come up to these challenges, hurdles, or you think about next steps, what are the things that like that make a decision the right decision for you? Like that you know this is the right way to go uh, versus o- other directions. Like I guess what's your decision making process like? It is very simple, and I trust my gut. That's it. Mm. I don't look at numbers. I don't look at upside downside. I don't look in dollars invested because I would happily if something felt right, I would happily pay for it. If something doesn't feel right, even if it's just like a thousand dollars, you know, I I'm not going to invest in it. And I I've learned to trust my gut since starting this business. And sure, I make mistakes every once in a while by trusting my gut, but I feel like it's it's a muscle, and the more you flex it, the the louder and stronger it becomes. And so I I literally just listen to my. It, there's always for me an instantaneous reaction. Yes or no, and even and several times it's been a no on the instantaneous reaction, and I've logically convinced myself that it was the right way to go, and it ended up poorly. On the other hand, there have been I in, started a partnership actually earlier or late last year. Every single one of my advisors said don't do it, and for me it was an instantaneous yes, and so I pursued it, and it was has been one of the best business decisions I've ever made. So I have literally learned to trust my gut. I love it. Uh, is there anything, any other piece of advice you'd, you'd give to the person who's looking to kind of get something started? Um, anything that we haven't covered that you think would be kind of useful advice, uh, practically speaking, for somebody who has considered starting um, maybe a start at something on the side? Any any piece of advice there, words words of wisdom, since you've kind of been there, done that, you could you could give. Um, yeah, there's been a ton. And actually, I don't know if, if you know this either, but like I, um, a lot of the advice in my journey is I wrote a book in 2017 that documents how I started this journey and then left my corporate, like left for good and all of the ups and downs and from a business perspective, as well as a personal perspective. Um, so there's, there are lots of insights there, but one of it is, I think you have to, as I said earlier, just take consistent like find something that really lights you up and makes you excited and then just take consistent steps every day. And it could be the smallest step. It could be the uh, relatively big step, but just start the momentum so that people, this is going to sound really woo-woo, but like that a greater power that at play, whatever that is, knows that you're interested. Like put it out there that you want this to happen and then take consistent action toward it and guaranteed things will start to pick up and, and take momentum. Mm. One other thing I, I highly recommend for entrepreneurs starting out, and it may seem silly because you may seem like you're not getting any traction, but it's to take notes on your journey. Because after three months, you may look back and you're like, wow, I feel like I'm still nowhere, but look where I've gone in those three months. Yes. You know, so every week, just like bullet point what you did that week, what steps you took. And it'll be amazing when you look back and you're like, holy mackerel, I actually have made progress in three months. Even though it may feel like you're totally still stuck in mud, 
guaranteed you aren't if you're taking these small, consistent steps every day. Mm, yes. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday. I, I love that idea. And just like super useful information about kind of just starting down a path and, and being consistent with the steps that you're taking. Because I, I've witnessed that in my own life with clients, like custom, you know, the students I coach and stuff like that and seen it so many times. It's like invisible doors do start to open when you they just do. start taking action. Like those things, they wouldn't have worked out had you not taken the, the progressive steps you had taken up to that point to take advantage then of that opportunity. And it's like, you won't see that. And you don't know how the dots are going to connect, right? You have no idea. And I, if someone would have told me that this would have been the way that it unfolded, I would have laughed hysterically. Like there's no way that that would have actually yeah, happened. That's cool. You know, it just, it just did. <laughs> well, Abby, but, this is fantastic. Um, I wanted to give you the platform here to share with people. Where can they reach out to find you, connect you, maybe check out your products? Sure. Floor's yours. Yeah. So um, you can find our insoles at vivianlu.com, V-I-V-I-A-N-L-O-U.com. If you're interested in learning more about my journey, you can also follow me at abbyloowalker.com, uh, A-B-B-Y-L-O-U walker.com. You can also uh, find my book called Strap on a Pair on Amazon. I love it. We'll make sure those are all hooked up in the show notes. So if anybody wants to check that out, I definitely encourage you to check out Abby's stuff. Abby, thank you so much for being on In the Trenches. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Are you trying to grow your online business, but struggling to get new customers consistently and predictably? Are you tired of working nonstop only to see your income plateau? Are you ready to step off the hustle hamster wheel, as I call it, and step onto a path of predictable profit that you can scale as much or as little as you want? Don't worry, you're not alone. I've been there. When I first got started, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. So I started reading blogs and listening to podcasts by people I respected and wanted to learn from. I slowly but surely put their recommendations into practice. But because I wanted to do it all myself, maybe you, you're something like that, right? And you love to do, do it by yourself, learn through trial and error. Well, bottom line is it took forever. Results were unpredictable when I was first getting started. I wasn't sure where to spend my time, money, and energy. And shiny penny syndrome got the best of me on more than one occasion. For many entrepreneurs, the amount I sacrificed working literally nonstop in some cases in my spare time, and 12 and 14-hour days routinely after going full-time, combined with the endless fog of war, aka that uncertainty that I had to deal with at all times because I was going it alone, I think that would have been enough for most entrepreneurs to throw in the towel. But I was persistent, focused, and I stayed humble. Day after day, I worked to grow the traffic to my website, increase my list of subscribers, and generate a healthy living for my eBooks, eCourses, and other digital products. At least that was the goal. But maybe more important than the work was that I paid attention to what I was doing, including what worked and what didn't. Eventually, I discovered a predictable pattern of growth. And so what I did was I just doubled down on those things, and I scrapped or sidelined the other things that weren't working so well. Finally, two years after resigning my commission as a captain in the army and going full-time on my online business front with my blog, with my podcast, etc. I replaced my income with digital product income. Two years. And so if that's where it stopped, I would have been happy with it. I would have been happy with the results. I wouldn't have complained. I would have been very content just replacing my income. But the bottom line is it was so much work. I wanted to you know, see if it could go somewhere else, right? So I just kept doing what I was doing, but better, faster, and more effectively. Again, just kind of applying the same system that I discovered uh, from seeing these patterns emerge, right? So I implemented it, I kept doing it. And eventually replacing my income turned into doubling my income. And then that turned into a little bit more and a little bit more. But not just that, it afforded me the freedom to dictate my day 
and also choose the projects I want to work on, on the schedule and on the timeline I want, and to work with the people I want to work with. And to me, that's like a whole new level of freedom, especially coming from the military. It's something I've never really had that level of complete autonomy until I became my own boss. I started my own business. And until ultimately, until it became profitable enough for me to start to take a step back and actually reap the rewards of it, because it's not all just working, working, working. And I do believe it's hard work. And I'll always say that nothing about doing this stuff is easy. But at the same time, you've got to reap the rewards at some point and take some of that profit, uh, even if you're just reinvesting it into new assets and things like that. Bottom line is, it can't just be work, right? Entrepreneurship and business is about that result that occurs, the value you've created and the profit, that, that piece of value that you've captured, okay? And you want to be able to reap the rewards of that profit, of that value, that little sliver of value that you get to capture, that you get to net, right? You want to be able to take advantage of that. Otherwise, you know, the entrepreneurship game really does become just a grind. And, and for, I think a lot of entrepreneurs, unfortunately, it becomes meaningless and that's when they quit. Well, for me, I love this stuff. I really, truly do. I mean, it is my thing. And so that's why I didn't just stop where I was at. I've stayed committed to learning everything I can about all aspects of this online business world and this online marketing world. And I do this through real world application. In other words, I'm currently growing several online businesses and I'm always putting my ideas to the test in real time with my own money, with my own time and energy, oftentimes with employees, you know, a lot of some, some stuff more advanced, some stuff more simple, but, you know, so varying levels of complexity and again, in different spaces, different niches. And I can say, you know, bottom line, I've always loved the startup hustle, but I got to say, it's nice to now be in a position where I can get big results with much less effort. Thanks to having built the foundation of my business the right way. And again, I did it all through trial and error, but I don't think that that's the way that everyone needs to do it. And in fact, looking back on it, if I had to redo it, I don't know if I would. It was so difficult to just go it alone and try to figure everything out by myself. So one of the things I've tried to do is give back with this podcast, with my blog, and with my newsletter. But maybe even more rewarding than any of this stuff, while I've enjoyed all of it, I think the thing that I'm enjoying the most, that I find most engaging and rewarding is the premium business mastermind and coaching program I run called 100K Academy. Inside 100K Academy, I help ambitious entrepreneurs who are very driven and excited to be doing what they're doing. I help them grow their reach, their influence, and their profit using my proprietary marketing system. That's the same one I use to scale my own online businesses from zero to multiple six figures and beyond, and the same system I use to help my clients reach the New York Times, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, set Kickstarter funding records, and create viral product launches that have turned into predictable revenue streams. So lots and lots of case studies that you could find at tommorcus.com. If you're curious, just go to tommorcus.com slash about, and that'll get you started. Most importantly, this system is one that 100K Academy members and alumni have used to achieve tremendous results, like Alexa, who used it to have her most profitable year ever, or Tina, who used it to make five figures from a sales funnel that she can now replicate and scale, and that's exactly what she's doing. Or Carrie, who made over $75,000 in just seven days. And the crazy part about his story was that his online business was actually a side hustle up until that first profitable launch, which he has then been able to grow and scale. And he subsequently quit his job following that very successful week. And I think that that has been just a game changer for Carrie and the life he's living and the work he gets to do and the impact he gets to make on the world because of the great work he's doing now, because he was able to figure out a system that would get him the targeted traffic, the subscribers, the sales to grow a profitable online business. 
Bottom line, if you want to grow your online business from six to seven figures, but you flatlined or you're struggling, or you just want to be told what to do and when to do it and in what order, right? And you want a system that is predictable and scalable and isn't just you know another shiny penny, but actually will fit right into your business. It plugs in and is something that you can truly grow. I want you to go to tommorcus.com slash academy. That's tommorcus.com slash academy. Academy is spelled A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. Go to tommorcus.com slash academy, and you'll find a page on my website with more details about 100K Academy, the business mastermind coaching program I run, as well as instructions on what to do next. Again, that's tommorcus.com slash academy. And if you're serious about growing your reach, influence, or profit, just follow the instructions and we'll be in touch, okay? Again, tommorcus.com slash academy. Go ahead and head over there now. That's it for today. Stay frosty.